Hey, this is Alex Kola, and you are listening to another episode of the Go To Market Mastery Podcast. Today, we are talking about how to write meaningful emails with a template in the show notes and our guest, Tyler Hickey. Enjoy the episode. If you can't learn how to close, you better start thinking about another career. And I am deadly serious about that. The reason for the call today, John, is something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. Hello, Tyler. Hey, Alex. How's it going today? Yeah, it's going amazing. Uh, we already... Uh, as like with most of my guests had a great pre-podcast chat where you also told me a few great things um, about yourself. Um, but yeah, I'm looking very, very much forward to like make a great episode today about writing meaningful emails. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to dive in. Absolutely. But first, of course, as always in uh, this podcast, we start by um, you, Tyler, introducing yourself, tell uh the audience a bit more about your role and uh, what you do at Branch. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I started off as a sales development rep at Branch uh, just after Thanksgiving last year. Um, was able to, uh, you know, have a great team around me to learn from. Ramped up really fast. Uh, had perfect quota attainment and actually was just promoted to AE uh, two weeks ago. Uh, or, yeah, a week and a half ago. So was amazing and you know really humbled by my experience so far uh, you know i'm definitely a person who I, I would say that my work ethic is my biggest thing but i was lucky enough to land at a company that had amazing people around me but yeah that's what i do that's what i've been doing at branch for the past you know just less than a year and uh, excited for the future yeah really cool uh, congrats on the promotion and maybe you could also um tell the audience um you tell told like your work ethic, but what are some things that you would recommend to um, somebody just starting out in a, as an SDR wanting to go to to an AE? Um, just doing that maybe in under 10 months, like you did, what would you recommend to him or her? Yeah, yeah. I would say right when you start off, you need to outwork people because they are going to have more experience and therefore they're going to be better than you. Um, so I like to say, you know, find the top couple performers on the team and for the first little bit, just mimic what they do and do more of it. Um, and you know, you don't necessarily at that point need to find your own voice. You just need to really get ramped up and learn what the great performers do. Um, and you know, the more reps that you get in, the better you're going to be. Um, so that's the best place to start. So I would say, you know, there's that work ethic portion of things, but then there's also just sort of that uh, always be learning sort of mindset that you have to be in. Um, get on LinkedIn, you know, follow the, the smartest people in sales and sales development. Um, you like, know, like you, for courses. example? What was that? Like you, for example? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, there's so many great people out there. Uh, there's lots of great courses that you can buy, uh, podcasts to listen to like this one. You know, there's just, you know, with the internet these days, never ending amount of resources that you can learn from. Um, I'd say the last thing is, you know, as you get better and better, if you learn how to properly manage your time, make sure you're focusing on the right things. 
that is what's going to take you from good to great uh, at the end of the day. Because, you know, in a quota carrying role, you really have to have what you're focusing on dialed in on a daily basis. Um, do that is, you know, I like to look at the end of my day. Um, you know, what does the next day look like? And how can I make that day as optimized as possible so I can both hit and or exceed my quota? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think volume is always a great tip when starting out in sales. So um, do more calls uh, when your when your calls are not that good, um, because then uh, yeah you get better, of course, on one side, and um, you kind of compensate um, the lack of quality of the calls that you, of course, have at the beginning. I would say, um, but calls is not the topic today. It's emails. Um, uh, why I invited you, but. Maybe we start with a little chat about the current state um, of, of cold email as a sales channel, maybe. Um, so what do you see from also maybe as a receiving perspective are currently the most common mistakes when getting emails, when seeing maybe colleagues also writing them? Um, what is your current like view on that? Yeah, to start off. Um, emails in general, cold emails, just tend to focus too much on product features. Um, you know, and you see so many people write this on LinkedIn all the time, but it's another thing to actually follow the advice. Like nobody cares about your product, right? They care about the problem that you can help them solve. Um, you know, I think that all the, uh, the smartest people in sales can yell it as loud as they can until they're blue in the face, um, but not everyone's going to follow it. So that's like one thing that you can do right off the bat that will put you ahead of like 70% of all people who are sending cold emails is to focus on the problem and not on product features. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree with this. Um, and also, I think like a lot of emails, they just start with I and me, you know, and I think exactly. like it's basically the thing that you said nobody cares about you it's all about your prospect and their problems um so maybe other than that what what else do you see that are absolute don'ts in an email yeah uh i think most emails are too long um, yeah they really they have too long sentences right um, the thing about the current world that we live in is everything's on mobile right and when things are too long and when sentences are too long There's not much space between them, not much white space between them in your emails, right? It's It makes them harder to read. And most people just skim, right? And they skim on their phones. So if you can really make it mobile optimized and make it really easy to understand just by scanning through it uh, to figure out what this email says, um, you know, that'll, you know, you add that with the whole product features idea I just shared. Uh, you know, avoiding talking about product features and, you know, you're in the top 90, 95% of, of yeah. folks and sending cold emails. And I think it's a pity that it's that easy. But would you say overall cold email as a channel? Yeah. Because I have the feeling it gets more and more irrelevant with like EA, irrelevant with AI like marching and, you know, everyone has like lavender and stuff. Um, and it's also like this fake personalization where you like just read, hey, you know, we've been on the same college and stuff, which like doesn't give you any edge um, of a reply, in my opinion. But do you think email as a channel does still is still like a valid channel or would you say just better take the call? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I am a very big fan of the surround sound approach to prospecting. 
I think that in my opinion, the, the most important thing is to figure out what channel that specific prospect is most active on, right? Mm-hmm. And then focus your efforts there. Um, I mean, and email, you can tell usually pretty quick, right? Within a couple emails, you'll see if they're opening your emails, if you're using, you know, like a sales engagement platform of some kind. Um, so that allows you to figure out if they're even active on email or if your emails are going to spam. So if, you know, if you're not getting any engagement with the emails, don't send emails anymore, right? Try a different channel. Maybe they're super active on LinkedIn. They're posting all the time on LinkedIn. That's going to be the place to hit them. So um, I think that email is still an effective channel. You know, I still get meetings off of email. Um, there's a lot of you know, people who are you know, using is a great tool to get more meetings effectively with email as well. So it's definitely a good channel. Are you using it? I have used it in the past. Um, it's harder to use when I was just, you know, using it myself. It wasn't like a company tool. Um, so, you know, I had to go back to my own personal computer and use it rather than on my company computer, which kind of defeats the purpose in terms of saving time. But I, ha- since, since I, uh, you know, tried it out, I've been like, oh my God, I want my company to get this so bad because it works so well. Yeah, yeah, I could absolutely cool. Um, so I've I've never used it because I think like you know I'm I'm, I'm mainly selling in the in the German market, and my emails are mainly German, so I think they don't have like feature or they improve German emails. Um, so I need to use my brain still, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> um, but overall, yeah, would you say or I would say an email have has like three phases. It's one the prep that you do and the research where you want like research the company, the account, the person, uh, also maybe the email address. Yeah. If it isn't like pops up right away in, in your, um, in your, um, in your tool, like Lucia or, or whatever you're using. And then you have the email, uh, where you have like in certain email structure and the subject line, and then you have still like follow ups and like, um, going multi-channel and then also like uh, checking the conversion and being like improving the email, A-B testing, whatever, like using data. So what I would like to do is really start um, with the prep part and the research part where we like dive deeper into this. So maybe just like high level, could you give us an overview of how you personally are doing research on prospects and what would you say is is important to, to mention there? Yeah, I would say that the most important thing to ask yourself at the beginning, um, and I'm talking about looking at this at a prospect level basis, is how important is this prospect to the account that you're going after? And how engaged in this prospect or is this prospect? And the reason why I say that is because writing cold emails can take a ton of time, right? So you want to make sure that you are spending that time appropriately. I like to think of Cold emails, I like to think there's like four different kinds, right? There's personalized cold emails, which are going to be the emails that I send to the most engaged prospects, someone who, and you know, and you can define engaged in a a lot of different ways, right? You've talked to them on the phone in the past, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to open with them years ago, you know, they've opened previous emails, etc. But those are the people that I'm going to be focusing personalized email on. Because I know, you know, a lot of people can probably relate to this. A lot of times you're spending so much time writing an email and then it just goes off into the void, never to be seen again. Yeah, it's like, uh, that is crazy. <laughs> but you have like, you have like um, the opportunity to just like then 
write the same email to another person in the company. So it's not like lost the email, I would say, or wasted time. Right, right. Yeah. And there's, there's um, you know, in terms of the, the different kinds, there's that personalized email and then there's like a persona-based email, right? Like at that point, you know, it's a high priority account, but you don't necessarily know who the right person is. You haven't talked to anybody. So you're focusing, okay, this is what this persona usually, you know, what usually, um, you know, relates with them, what usually, um, you know, speaks to them. So you'll focus your emails based on the persona situation. Then there's sort of account-based emails, right? That's when, you know, you did your research on the account. Um, it's maybe a B account, right? And you're at that point, you're not going to want to spend a ton of time doing the individual research. And you just want to see, okay, can I get someone on the hook sending out uh, you know, similar email to everybody at this account? which a lot of people say don't do, but I've actually had success with that approach. Um, and then I would also say that you need to look at, um, you know, don't send a ton of boilerplate emails, but like say you're just trying, say you have a really complex product, right? And you just want to nurture and get uh, somebody to understand, you know, what it is that you do. Then maybe you send, uh, you know, like a nurture sequence, which has boilerplate emails. You just want to send simple bumps. Right? That's going to be sort of automated. If you want to just send out marketing invites, that you know, the more people you send them out to, it's all about volume, right? You get more signups based off of that. Then you can send a boilerplate email. So to summarize, you know, there's sort of four different ways I look at it. Um, you know, when I'm doing my research, is okay. Am I going to send this person a personalized email? Am I going to send them a persona-based email? Am I going to send them a based email, or am I going to send them a boilerplate email? Okay, cool. And um, are you aware of the Powerline framework? No, I don't think so. So it's like from from Kyle Coleman. It's like um, you should spend eighty percent of the time with decision makers and twenty percent of the time with non decision makers. And everyone like who's above the power line, how you call it, is a decision maker. Yeah. Um, and those 20% of the time you spend are, for example, the SDRs and you spend this time on research. So are you personally, um, like using sort of a framework like this, where you like maybe write some, some like non-decision makers to gather information saying, Hey, you know, for example, you lavender saying, Hey, you know, your SDR, maybe, you know, um, who's the right person at your company, um, you know my prospect list and stuff um could you like give me some insights on a quick phone chat and then um i could approach your, your your head of sales and you could like use this product so are you basically working also with non-decision makers or are you saying hey i take all the information from the internet and i'm fully focusing on decision makers yeah um i'm definitely a huge fan of that 80 20 approach by the way um trying to look at everything through the lens of 80 20 when it comes to managing my time definitely focusing more on people with they don't have decision making power they at least from the looks of it from the outside have influence on those decision makers because every deal you know is uh every deal needs a champion so yep. essentially what i'm trying to do is either get to that decision maker or create a champion you know and i do believe that um it is a good approach to start at the bottom and work your way up right the person that would be using your tool on a daily basis is probably a good place to start. Um, if you can go right the, the, to the decision maker, that's obviously ideal because it'll just it'll make the deal move faster, right? Um, so I would say I am focusing more on either those people who can become champions or 
you know, an economic buyer that's going to make the final decision. Uh, that's probably definitely my 80%. Um, but then I, I don't think there's anything wrong with focusing on people that are more below the line as well, just because then you can just kind of step function your way up to the, the top of the, the food chain. Um, and it's just going to be a longer deal cycle at that point. But sometimes you have to start with education, right? Especially if you have a complex product, uh, yeah. like Ranch is a complex product. So mm. you, know, you just start like, hey, what if you can do this? I'm like, oh, I got to tell my boss about that, right? Um, so I definitely think you need both approaches. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe in terms of the personalization, you talked about one like um, persona-based and one account-based, yeah? Um, so... What are you looking for in like the persona-based approach and the account-based approach? And where are you looking for this, this information? Yeah, so mostly LinkedIn. And you know, I'm using LinkedIn sales on a daily basis. Um, creating sort of a high-level prospect list um, for whatever account I'm targeting. Um, like it's gonna, the kind of email I send them is going to depend on what priority that account is right like i tend to sort my accounts into like priority ones twos and threes um, so um, and that's based off of a few different things um, but like i am going to focus really on a persona based approach uh, if i've never gotten into the account before right if the account uh could like my hypothesis is the account could drive a ton of value from branch then I'm going to do that persona-based approach. I don't really have anything I could go off of when it comes to personalization. Uh, on there. So I'll focus on the persona-based stuff. Um, and then, you know, if I move into those priority two-level accounts, that's when I'll more just be like, okay, I'll send out some feelers, some account-based emails. Um, they've talked about how, you know, Branch sells mobile software. So they've talked about in their 10K that they are focused on mobile right now. So, you know, I'll create something based off of that and see if I can get any bites. If I do, then I go into that like really personalized approach with that person because then, like I explained earlier, they become an engaged prospect at that point. Absolutely. And um, what are maybe a few personalization points that you're looking for? Are you really like then um, looking for like similarities or um, how does this then look like? Yeah, so... Um, when I'm talking about personalization, I'm really talking about making that email specific to that individual. Um, and the best way to do, and, and also, you know, you can talk about, you know, what college they went to and whatnot, right? But that's not necessarily relevant to the conversation. So a lot of times it could come off as disingenuous. So while that's personalization, it's not necessarily very effective personalization, at least in my experience. Maybe other yeah, people have had in mine too. Yeah, maybe some people have had success with it, but I haven't. Um, it's sort of going into their LinkedIn profile. And a lot of times in their about page or under, you know, their current job description, you can find just great nuggets of data, uh, you know, what they're doing on a daily basis, what their goals are. And then you can really use that to personalize the emails. Um, and I like to just start my emails making sort of a personalized observation like that, right? It's like, hey saw that your goal is to increase your mobile app uh, installs by 20% this year. Um, yeah. You know, and that's a great way to kick off an email because it shows that you know who they are. Um, you look at their LinkedIn profile and what you're going to follow up with is relevant to that exact, uh, that exact goal of theirs. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and how much time do you spend on, on, on your research, you would say, before writing an email? Yeah, um, I would say that um, more or less, if I can't find anything on the LinkedIn page of the person, then I'll kind of, you know, I'll play around a little bit with, you know, I'll do a Google search, see if I can find, you know, what they're doing on other social media, see if I can get any nuggets there. Um, like to see if they've ever been on a podcast, right? Then you can take some nuggets from there. So I tend to like to, you know, it would be the least amount of time if I, you know, just understand the account and you know, the business initiatives of the account and then just have like a nugget of information from their LinkedIn page. But sometimes I have to dive deeper than that. So it can be anywhere from, you know, five minutes of research to 20 minutes of research. Um, and, you know, again, it really depends on how you want to spend your time. Right? If you determine that it's not worth doing 20 minutes of research on this person, then maybe you send them more of a persona-based email rather than a personalized email. Um, it's, it's hard to find those, uh, you know, those triggers that, you know, make you decide what kind of emails to, to send them. It's something that you really develop over time. Um, that's why I mentioned on the important things that the best prospectors and SDRs are going to do is figure out how to manage their time. So long-winded answer to your question. Absolutely agree with this. Um, so I would say we now switch a bit to writing the initial email. So I think the first thing that's important high level is how do you structure your email? Yeah, yeah. So um, I like to start off with an observation like I talked about earlier. Then I will bring up a problem that is usually related to that observation. And then I'll talk about how my solution solves that problem. And then after that is when I throw out sort of that interest or curiosity based CTA. Mm -hmm. No, what, no value prop? What was that? No value prop? Well, the value prop is in the solution. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think you could probably term it either way. I said solution. You could probably say that. Um, yeah. So that's the way I structure almost all my emails, even, you know, a personalized one all the way down to a, a boilerplate one. I try to provide sort of that similar structure. Um, but I've also seen people have uh, success throwing like a, a PS at the end of the email, making another observation better. So I'm starting to experiment with that a little more as well. As a part of my structure. So, what, what is a PS? Could you maybe explain that for the audience? Yeah. So, like uh, the you know you have your CTA and you say best Tyler, right? And then at the end, oh PS, I noticed that you're also focused on this and this. Okay. We could also uh, we could also help in that regard. You know, something along um. those lines. So, uh, essentially, because. Uh, what I think it might have been Lavender that said a lot of people, their eyes naturally gravitate towards PSs for some reason. Um, so that could be a good solution. I mean, you could throw something, you know, really high value in a PS, and then maybe they just read that and that could prompt a reply. So yeah. um, that's something I've been, I've been focusing on and trying to test as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what would you say how long should be an email? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, like I said earlier, most emails are too long. 
think that, you know, if you're looking at the data, um, again, stealing this from Lavender, less than 50 words is probably going to be your best bet. Um, and I think that that just makes sense in terms of yeah. how I read emails, right? It's like, oh my God, I got this internal email that's like five paragraph essay and I do yeah. not want to read it. That's so crazy. If, if you can edit it down to less than 50 words, I think you're going to be way better off. Yeah, and I think you don't need more, right? Uh, so, like, if you need more, if you if you do more, then it's probably because of features or your wording that's like a bit of like jargon, jargon, you say, like um, uh, in 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 German. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say like it's absolutely possible to like, yeah, narrow it down to like fifty words, seventy-five words ish, like that. Um, but I would like to touch on the CTA again, yeah. Um, have you read the, the, the book Never Split the, the Difference from Chris, Chris Voss? Love that book. It's awesome. Yeah. Here's this one question where he like, like asks always the opposite. Like, for example, would it be a bad idea to hop on a meeting? Yeah. This is something that I've used a lot, but I feel like this is like, it's, it's like, it, it, it's gotten a bit in, everyone's using it. I think I think it's not good anymore. Um, in general, I would say um, what's important at the CTA is that you don't ask for time, and you really ask for something that you're interested in. So it's an interest-based CTA. What are your best practices there? So in terms of a CTA, maybe could you name a few examples for a great CTA? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I agree with you on that, by the way. Um, I don't really use that CTA anymore as much as I love Chris Voss. Um, I definitely have found a lot of success with interest or curiosity-based uh, CTAs. Um, so one that has been effective uh, for me since the beginning is, is this on your radar at all? I don't know why it's so effective, but it's, it's probably the one that has gotten the most responses for me. Um, you can also, you know, just ask a curiosity based question like, Hey, do you want to see a case study on this? Or, Hey, have you heard of branch before? Right. Something like that. Um, <laughs> definitely. I don't know if I've, if I've ever had success asking for a meeting in a CT. No, uh, on email. it never, it never works. People are it like, just oh, doesn't you're, work. you're desperate at that point. <laughs> it just, I think it's just, it just, it did work, but it, it doesn't work anymore. I think. Um, or it rarely works, I think. Um, but for example, what works in, in, in my niche is like, um, because I work in the recruitment space, um, should I send you a few calibration candidates to prove that uh, I understand the role, for example? Yeah. Love because that. I think it's important that you just have like an easy answer that's yes or no. Because like if you have any complex answer where the person needs to think, um, it's, I think it's not a good CTA because it's, it should be yes or no. Um, and if you get no as an answer, that's fine. Move on. I think. Totally. I think that, you know, in discovery, everyone talks about asking open-ended questions, but mm -hmm. you really don't want to ask, to ask an open-ended question in an email. You want, you want that final question to be short, compact and yes or no. And by the way, um, in cold calls, Chris Voss's question still works great for me. So would it be a bad bad idea to like chat on a call about this? No, wouldn't be. 
let's let's set up a call. So um, I think CTAs um, we covered. Subject lines is another topic. Um, in my opinion, they're they're too long as well. What do you think? No, no more than three words on a subject line. Okay, you're doing three, not four. Yeah, I'm doing three. I'm keeping on. I want them to be two. I want them to describe what the email is in two words is my goal. And the, the reason why is because I think that people try to get too crafty with their subject lines and whatever. You're just trying to get someone to open an email. So if you can, you know, dumb down what the email is to two words, pique their interest slightly, you're just going to get that open and then let your email do the work, right? So that's my strategy. I've had success with it. Mm-hmm. You're doing four words that you said is is your max. I would say four is my max, yeah. Because sometimes I, you can. I would say even I would even argue that you can do five. It's a re, if it's a really good one, but I would say four is like the, the benchmark. Could you name, name a few examples for for example for for a subject line? Is it like do you write it after the email or before the email? Also, um, yeah, I I like to write it usually before. I have a pretty um, you know, at branch, one thing that's awesome about what we do is I can literally take a picture of a broken mobile experience and send it to the customer um, or the prospect. And that's a um, you know, different question. If you can find the actual problem in the world and send it to them, you're going to get way more engagement. And that's how mm-hmm. I had some of the best, uh, some of the best results from my cold emails. But getting back to your question, like say there's a broken email experience that I'm sending to someone. Just basically send a subject line that says email link. So I'll be like, email link, what's this? And uh, it gets them to read the email like, oh, there's a broken email link here, right? So that's kind of what I'm talking about. That's uh, a huge one I use. I also, I use quick questions sometimes. Quick question, like, oh, quick question. Oh, you're, so you're, you're using quick question? Okay, I'm, I'm, I hate this one. Actually, <laughs> I hate it because I think it. I got it. I get it so often, and I think it's so easy to personalize it. Mm, okay. uh, to to like to like personalize it at scale in a sequence. So I think it's it just is. not. It's I think like it can work because you know you have still have like the first sentence that you see below. But for example, I like to see, for example, if if I see somebody is searching Italian salespeople, then I'm just like. Italian salespeople, two words. That's like my because then I, you know I, he directly sees okay that's that's my problem. Um, if you don't have the opportunity and you're really like thinking ten minutes about the subject line, use quick question. I would say you can still use it, but I'm I'm not a big fan of it because I think it's like I saw it so often already. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's definitely better for like boilerplate sort of emails or you know something that you're sending more at scale. Because it could kind of apply to anything, like you said. I just like it because it's short. I'm That's all true. about the short subject lines. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. I think email is covered. Now we have crafted the email. Prospect didn't reply. Um, what do we do now? So following up is, of course, a big part in a, in a sales job. Um, but a lot of people are still writing just following up. And then there's stuff. So could you give us a few solutions, a few alternatives, how you can correctly follow up so you de- do get really the most out of it? 
Yeah. Um, I really like just referring back to why you're following up, right? It's like, hey, see that you're focused on mobile growth or thought this was relevant because you're focused on mobile growth. Thoughts in my previous name, something like that. I don't like saying it's just following. It's like it's, it's overused. So, yeah. So, it's great to just tie back to why you're reaching out in a follow up. I don't like to keep my follow ups very complex. Um, I just like a really high level, you know, one sentence. Oh, hey, just reminding you, I was reaching out because of this reason. Is usually how I start a follow up. Um, doesn't prompt really any sort of response, then I'm like, okay, maybe this didn't resonate. Let's try a different email strategy with my, you know, next, uh, my next email. So I will kind of end that string and I'll start a new string at that point. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, I think what's important is in the first follow-up issue, for example, um, how I do sales at the moment is, you know, you collect a lot of information from, um, from, from SDRs and stuff. And then um, you write like, the chief sales officer, for example, yeah, based on this information that you talk with the team leads and stuff. I think if you have like a really, really important email that you put in a lot of work, um, I think you should also not then waste, you, you shouldn't destroy it by, by, by writing a bad follow-up. So I would keep the quality high in the follow-up and put in the work high at first. So just like the follow-up as well, um, put in high work, high work, another observation or st and stuff like, hey, also just saw this or read this report or read uh, maybe this company news that also referred to my problem. And then as soon or the more you're following up, the easier I think it should be for the prospect to respond. For example, I like to write, hey, normally when people don't respond to my emails, it means one of three things. A, they need more information, for example. B, um, I don't know they're out of office C, um, they're just not interested and I shouldn't write them anymore. Just write me your um, correct uh, letter, for example. Or could you, hey, just wrote me a few times, could you give me a thumbs up or down if this is still relevant? So this is, I think, my rule of thumb, how, how I'm doing it. Um, mm. And I think it's, 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 it's quite successful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, uh, I'm curious, what do you think about like simple bumps? Uh, any thoughts on my note? any thoughts period um and the reason why i ask is because you know you go back to like the agoji sequence which took the world by storm like say five years ago and a big part of that was those simple bumps because the argument that sam nelson made was that uh you were able to get like two or three times the value for the personalized email that you sent do you buy that because there's sometimes where i'm like okay that makes sense and there's sometimes where i'm like ah i want to send value in the follow-up yeah, I agree. I, I would say I, I would, I would say it's it's it, it's it depends on the situation. In general, I'm 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 not a fan of it. I would say because, especially in the first follow up, any thoughts you could argue say okay, sometimes you just somebody opened it and they just don't didn't archive it yet and they want to reply you later and you just like get back on top of your inbox or back on top of their inbox. But I would say in general, it's it's more important. That when you do it, you put in some work, you add more value. And I would say you can write like any thoughts in your like, if you get like deeper into the prospect is not replying, then you can write it because then I wouldn't even put in more work. So I put like 
the, the, the more emails you write, the less work I would put in. And maybe if you get another signal from maybe somebody internally, then you can put in again, more work things. Like, hey, just got, um, just had another chat. Uh, with your SDR, um, which you seem to have a lunch and you talked about me or something like this. And then you like put in again, a lot of work and write a really, um, a really far email again. But I would say in general, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. And I would say add value in every email. Yeah, I love that. That tends to be where I lean as well. I do like the idea of though, maybe towards the end of the sequence when you're like, okay, it's unlikely this person's going to respond at this point. So maybe I'll use it here just to get another touch out there. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. But what did you say? When do you stop? When do you stop following up? Yeah. So I am pretty consistent in how many emails I send across my sequences. It's usually five or six. Um, and the reason why I don't send that many emails is because I can usually understand if the person is going to reply within like three or four emails um so like if i didn't get any opens in my first three or four emails it's like okay i'm not that active on email emails are going to spam you know there's something going on here where i'm not going to reach this person here then i will focus on a different channel so essentially what i'm trying to do at the beginning of a sequence is i'm just trying to gauge where they're going to be active right and if email is that one, then I'll take them all the way to the end of my sequence. Um, and you know, even sometimes add them again and try a different approach. Um, so I would say it's, it's pretty tailored to who I'm reaching out to. Um, but that's kind of my approach. Is like, okay, let's start off with five or six in the sequence and sort of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. And do you also like add automated steps in your, in, in, in your follow up step or put them in an automated cadence after you like reached out? A- personalized yeah i try to avoid automated steps but i try to make it as easy as possible uh for me to send a follow-up like um for example you know the example i used earlier is hey saw you're focused on mobile growth right i will just have like one area saw you're focused on blank and then i'll just add that and that's all i need to add and i can send it out in two seconds right that way it doesn't have to be fully automated so i do i'm going to try the uh, approach we just talked about though in terms of sending sort of those automated bumps toward the end of the sequence i think that's yeah. a good strategy yeah absolutely because you can automate them and i i, I just yeah. i think uh yeah cool give me feedback how it worked um another thing is conversion of course then um we now wrote the email we did follow up we closed the deal uh, we, or we booked the meeting um now conversion so what did you say overall is a good is a good open rate, is a good meeting booking rate. And if you're not happy with this, how do you improve? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I would say, I mean, if you want to improve your reply rates, meeting rates and all that, you're going to do better sending more personalized emails to more higher value prospects. So you're going to want to apply the 80-20 rule there and be like, okay, I want 80% of my emails to be personalized emails. So I am going to focus on those prospects specifically. I like to think of, when I look at metrics, I like to think more in terms, less in terms of opens, replies, and meeting book rates. I like to think of it more as a value to effort ratio. It's like, okay, how much effort That's am I putting amazing. in? Yeah, how much effort am I putting in versus how much am I getting out of it? 
because you can send those account-based emails at scale. And at that point, that's when I'm getting a little bit more automated with it, right? Um, and, you know, if I can get a meeting off of that, right, I didn't put in much effort there, but I got a meeting. So, you know, it, it all depends. And that's why I break it down from a, you know, a standpoint of, okay, how engaged is the prospect at the beginning? So I can know how to, uh, what kind of effort I, sh- I should be putting in at that point. So I would say I look at those uh, metrics. Um, I look at my open rates, my meeting rates and all that. But I'm a lot more focused on the effort that I'm putting. And this is hard to calculate, right? It's definitely something you have to hone over time. Be like, how much am I getting out of actually sending these emails? Um, but that's the way I like to look at it. Uh, again, coming back to how to best manage your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think like in terms of open right, uh, rates, just to give the audience a number, um, I think under 60% stop, like change, change something um, fundamentally. Um, and I would say good is then if you have 80%, it's good. I would say 80% is really good. Um, especially on the, on like on the first emails, I would say like even 90, maybe on the first one. Um, but I would say 80 is good and meeting booking rate. I would say like under, if you're under like 3%, that's not good. I think like we're talking about personalized emails, like right. personalized yeah. emails, I would say that's accurate. You should be at yeah. 3%. Yeah. Basis. And I think like if you have 10, 20%, that's like where, where you're like good. You agree? You're very good. Yeah. I absolutely agree. On, you know, yeah. 10 to 20% meeting book, you know, would be life changing. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. So, what would you say? What tools are you using maybe to also track your stuff and also maybe correctly A B test? Yeah, yeah, we use Outreach, um, and I like to use their feature where you can send a similar email, but slightly, you know, changed uh, to different prospects. Um, so I'll have like two templates loaded in my sequence, um, and, you know, they're similar, but they have just one thing changed, and then you can figure out what that is, what that, uh, you know, more applies, and then you can use that template more going forward with different prospects. I think the most important thing with A-B testing is you really don't want to change too much because then you don't know what created the difference in opens, replies, and meetings. So you need to be very careful to make sure you're not overly changing your emails um, so you can understand what is truly driving that change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. So always change one thing at a time and then test it again. Um, I would say 100 is a number where you could say, like, really tell if the data is like, say something. Um, so sure. yeah, absolutely agree. Tyler, um, you see it already got dark outside here in Berlin. So we're already slowly coming, um, to an end. I would have two things. So one, um, last question. So what would you, um, since I, I know you're also like helping people get into tech sales, What would you recommend to people just starting out to say, and what would be one thing maybe you should uh, or you would have told yourself um, starting out before you answer? Could you maybe also um, for the audience give the people an email template, an email best practice of you um, that we could put into the show notes that people could look at? 
Yeah, yeah, I can absolutely do that, and it'll uh, it'll definitely be sort of my framework where I'm talking about observation, problem, solution, CTA. Um, that's definitely my my bread and butter um, or value prop instead of solution, like you mentioned earlier. Um, so I can absolutely provide that. In terms of so when you when you're asking about you know talking about getting into tech sales itself or doing well once you get it. I would say getting into sales in general. So um, the first, like getting into sales in general, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the absolute number one thing that you can do is do the job to get the job. Prospect into the people that are going to be hiring you. Show them that you are gritty, that you can do the job. And the way that you do that is you learn like, okay, what does a great SDR do, right? Um, follow the best prospectors on LinkedIn, figure out what they do to get in, and then apply that knowledge to how you reach. Because you're not going to, if you don't have any experience, you're not going to get a job by sending in an application. Like, it's such a difficult industry to get in, um, especially if you want the best jobs, right? I saw an SDR job the other day that had like 2,500 like for one job right so it's like it's like you really have to figure out how to stand out and the way that you can do that is to do the job to get the job and i mean if you're cold calling a uh a hiring manager that manages bdrs and you can kill that cold call they're gonna be like oh man i can set this guy loose on all my prospects and he's gonna do great right um same thing with sending great cold emails great linkedin messages so um, it takes a lot more work, a lot more upfront work. Um, but, you know, it comes back to what I said at the beginning, having that work ethic and that desire to learn is what is going to set you apart, whether you're in sales yet or you're not. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Tyler. I can absolutely agree from the other side, from the recruitment perspective. Um, all things you said are very valid. Um, yeah. And thank you so much uh, for being my guest to the audience. Follow Tyler on LinkedIn. He posts great content and as always if you have questions reach out to either me or or tyler thank you so much tyler thanks a lot appreciate you bye bye